Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. And this week, we're bringing you an exclusive interview with one of the greatest cricketers ever to play the game. What a beauty from Kellis! Over the course of the next hour, Neil Manthorpe speaking with the South African legend Jack Callis about his phenomenal career, which saw him become one of the all-time leading run scorers as well as life away from the crease as head coach of the Kolkata Knight Riders. That's through. That'll be four. He's got some time, hasn't he? Jack Callis. And another Test 50. Uh, the great all-round. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 and our exclusive interview with the great Jack Callis. Well, he's the third highest test run scorer of all time with 13,289 behind Sachin Tendulkar and Ricky Ponting. But he has taken a few more wickets than either of them, 292 of them and 200 catches. Callas connects it. Stewie McGill can do nothing at fine leg. Throw in 328 one-day internationals with another 11,500 runs and 270-odd wickets. He was also the first man to win the IPL as both a player and a coach. Oh, he's hit that well. That's beautifully played. Short delivery and smashed away in front of square for four. Jacques Callas means business here. It's no wonder that many people regard him as the greatest multi-format cricketer of all time. Jacques Callas, welcome to the Cricket Collective. Hi, man. It's morning. (laughs) Given that you've had all this time on your hands... Um, we spent 20 years watching you break record after record and we'd always ask you how you felt and what these records meant to you and you always said I'll have time to reflect on it once I've retired well it's been seven years retired from test cricket six years retired from one day one day cricket so have you have you have you been doing any reflecting 
on all those <laughs> records? Um, I'm still reflecting. <laughs> I haven't, uh, to be honest. I've been so busy. I, I haven't had a chance to, but, um, you know, it's something that I, I am proud of what I achieved. Um, I think my proudest achievements, if I do look back, is, um, you know, this, the stuff that we achieved as a team, um, beating Australia in Australia for the first time, in England, uh, England in England for the first time. Edged. There it is. South Africa have won. They've won this match. They've won the series. And they go to the top of the world rankings. You now, winning that first uh, trophy, which people do forget about, the ICC tournament in, um, uh, where was it, in Dubai or Sharjah, where we won that first ICC tournament. So, Bangladesh, you know, wasn't it? Yeah, or Bangladesh, sorry, yeah. Um, so, yeah, those I think are the proudest moments of, of what I look back at and, and the fun that we had in doing that. Um, you know, even surprisingly, a couple of our pre season tours where we went to Switzerland. Um, I think it was before that England series where we, we beat them there. Um, so sort of looking back, those are, are the memories that, that sort of stick out first and foremost rather than the individual uh, memories of, of, you know, of the 20 years. I know you always said you, you weren't a stats man, you're not a stats man, but, but everybody else is when it comes to your career because, because the numbers are so eye-popping. But, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that you... You go and open up wisdom and, and look at your career. I don't suppose you've ever done that in numbers, but 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 you know what the numbers are. Isn't aren't there any that you think, bloody hell, that is a lot. Um, to be honest, I think probably playing for twenty years. You know, when you play your first game for South Africa, you, you try and perform well enough to um, you know help the team win in that game, and then hopefully get picked for the next game. And and to do that for twenty years so is certainly something that I, I never thought I would achieve. You know, not many people get to play for the country in whatever sport for, for 20 years. So that's something that I am really proud of. Um, and yes, along the way, certain individual performances. Um, and it's always the ones that, you know, lead, uh, lead the team to winning that stand out most. It's not always the ones that are the highest scores or the highest number of wickets taken. Um, those are certainly the ones that, that stand out and, and give me the greatest reward. When did you know you were going to be a cricketer? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I think they were in matric year. There was a Craven Week trials, and there was a South African under seventeen cricket tour to the UK. And strangely enough, I probably enjoyed rugby a lot more, but knew that I was far more talented in cricket um, than than rugby. Uh, and sort of made the choice then that uh, you know I'm going to give this this game of cricket a go, and let's see where it takes us. Um, give it a couple of years, and if things don't go according to plan, perhaps look at perhaps adding something at varsity and that. Um, but, you know, I managed to get off to a good start once I left school, played some club cricket in England, which, um, you know, helped me grow as a person. Uh, and then from then on, when I started playing provincially, um, that was a kind of the time when I realised that, I, you know, this is my profession and um, this is the way or what I'm going to do for, for the next however many years. Okay, so there was a moment where you, you knew that, that you were good enough. Was there another moment where you thought, I really am onto something here? <laughs> where you sort of realised that, you know, that you were a wee bit better than average? I think in any, any avenue that, that you go into, whether it's sport or business, you know, there's that, that little bit of doubt that creeps in until you do perform um, at that level. And, you know, you want to perform to, uh, to prove to yourself that you are good enough to play at that level. Um, the first one being provincial level. Um, that, that I could perform at that level. And once I sort of 
put in one or two performances, um, which fortunately in, at provincial level came, came pretty soon in the first couple of games. You know, it made me believe, and I think it made my teammates believe that I was good enough. And then, you know, once I was selected for South Africa, again, those doubts keep him. Am I good enough to, to play at this level? Have I got what it takes to be at this level? And it perhaps took a little bit longer at, at international level. Um, and I think the first time I started believing that was, was in one-day cricket ahead of test cricket because I'd managed to get a few scores in, in, in the one-day side and, and struggled a little bit at test cricket. And until you get that first performance, which for me was against um, Pakistan in Pakistan. What a shot. It wasn't too short that Jacques Cullis has just flicked it away onto the onside for four. I think I got 60 or 70 and suddenly I believed that I was good enough to be at that level and proved to my teammates that I was good enough to be, be at that level. And then I realised that, um, you know, I, I can, let's see how far I can go. I to use my talent. Um, I've always lived by, you know, if you're going to do something, do it properly, otherwise don't do it at all. Um, and that's kind of how I sort of started and, and kicked on with, with my career. Talking of one-day cricket, I was looking back at your debut and it put a big smile on my face because it just sort of reminded me of how different the game was when <laughs> all those years ago. It's 1996. Your debut was against England at your beloved Newlands in Cape Town. And South Africa made 211 for eight and defended it. <laughs> <laughs> How the game has changed. I remember back in those days, the coaches used to, to um, say, well, don't come back to the change room if you get caught on the boundary in between the middle overs. You were, you were never allowed to take on fielders in, in those days. And you had to sort of, um, you know, play the waiting game until the last few overs and then fire towards the end. Um, geez, the game's changed now completely. <laughs> <laughs> it has. I mean, and that wasn't even unprecedented. You know, that sort of happened. South Africa did that all the time. I mean, you, if you put 220 on the board, you you were, you reckoned you you had the game half won. Definitely. Um, you know, the scores of 250 there in in, um, in those days were were match winning scores, and you defended that quite easily. Um, when a team got to a run a ball chasing a total, it was almost impossible to get. So, you know, those, those were the uh, sort of the mindsets of, of um, you know, what the players were thinking in those days. And the fielding side, as soon as it got to, you always worked towards, let's get to a run a ball and you knew the game was over. Done. They couldn't chase that. Um, it's strange <laughs> to look back at those times. <laughs> you mentioned your 20-year international career. 20 years. I mean, for a batsman, okay. For a spinner, possibly, but but a fast bowling all rounder, it's it's it is unprecedented in in the history of the game. So I wanted to ask you, how many games do you reckon you played fully fit? And and the reason I ask is because I remember Graham Smith when he was your captain once saying, "I'm very happy to take fifty percent of Jacques Callis if he can get, if he's if if he's if he's walking on one leg, I'll I'll have him." But but I mean, you must have played through a bunch of injuries. Definitely. I think most sportsmen do. I think there's probably a handful of times when you, you feel your body's at 100% and you're exactly where you want to. So you're always playing with some kind of uh, niggle, um, something sore, but you find a way to get through it. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that I, I had a, a body that stayed pretty fit throughout my career and didn't have too many major injuries. I think I had a stress fracture early on in my career. Um, from probably bowling on the on the indoor surfaces, um, you know, and learned a lesson there to be careful when bowling on indoor surfaces. Um, you know, the, the surfaces have certainly improved in, in today's world, but back in the day, it was still something new, you know, quite hard, and, and got an injury there. Um, but other than that, I didn't have too many major 
injuries. I had a tennis elbow, which um, you know stuck with me for a couple of months. But um, you know, very fortunate that I missed the odd game here and there, but nothing um, over a long period of time. I think I also got to learn, um, you know, how to manage myself and my body. And coaches and teammates trusted the way I went about things, which um, you know I was very fortunate enough and. Um, you know, I also believed in, in, in training well. Um, you know, you don't need to train for three hours. Put in your half an hour work, but do it at match intensity and then get out of there and, um, you know, get your body looked after, make sure your body's prepared. Um, I think that was as important to me as getting the skills right, was trying to get my body as close to being as good as it can be. Um, and obviously, when you do get those needles, you just got to push through it. There was one test match where Graham Smith announced that you would play just as a batsman because uh, you 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 weren't fit to bowl, and um, I don't know what the score was. It was something like the opposition were two hundred and fifty for two in the second innings, and sure enough, he throws the ball to you, and uh, you haul yourself through half a dozen overs. Do you remember that test match? Uh, I don't. Um, but yeah, I find it hard to play only as a batter, I must be honest. And I think when you do both throughout your whole career, you kind of get used to that and, and you, you want to be involved and trying to make a difference um, in the game. And I think being all rounder, you know, you're fortunate enough to, to have that ability to, if you do fail the bat, you've got a chance of the ball and, and vice versa. So, um, and to stand next to Graham Smith and Mark Boucher for a whole day, not, not getting a break from missing <laughs> talk all day, that, that was hard work. So, yeah, I'd rather go and bowl. <laughs> <laughs> a really interesting point about the training. Um, and and as a senior player, you, of course, could do exactly what you knew that you needed to do in terms of preparation. If you were going to bowl, you would bowl rather two overs at, at you know full pace or, or bat at full intensity um, and then take it easy and uh, have a bottle of water and, and sit in the shade. But young players can't do that can they? So it's very, very hard for young players to, to manage their workload. And if the coach makes them run 20 laps of the ground, then when they really should be having a rest, it's difficult to, to, to say, well, actually, no, coach, I'm done, thanks. Yeah, that's the tough part about being a young player, I suppose. Um, you know, you want to impress the coaches and, and the senior players and that, and it's a, it's a fine line. Um, I'd say generally the youngsters don't know their body and their game as well as the senior players. So, um, yeah, that's the tough one as a coach. And, and sometimes you've got to trust the player and, and give them their space and time if they are feeling a little bit tired. Because, uh, you know, like I said, my policy has always been rather give me uh, short and sharp rather than and long, long and, and, and no um, intensity. So uh, there are times when you can see when the guys are just being lazy and that's when you push them. Um, and then there's times when you have to, as a coach, just sit back and say, well, I'm going to trust my player. Um, and at the end of the day, if they don't perform in the next few games, um, you, know, you can go back to them and say to them, well, you didn't quite put in the work that perhaps you might have needed. Um, and in a way, it puts them under pressure to, to perform in the next game because you have given them um, you know, that, that chance to sit down and, and do it their way. And it puts, like I said, it puts them under pressure. Then they've got to come and perform. So in a way, it's quite a good thing. And, and I have seen that. Um, it, it does work, so the fine line. Silverhouse uh, continues, and now Callis brings up the three figures. He's all class, Jack Callis, and that is Test Century number 44. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2, and our exclusive interview with the South African great Jack Callis. Still to come, 
He discusses why he decided to retire despite scoring his 45th century in what turned out to be his farewell test. But first, he talks about the teams he enjoyed facing as a player. The intensity of your concentration and your focus when you were batting, many opposition bowlers, I remember Graham Swan particularly, um, found it unnerving. You know, there was just absolute lack of interaction. They couldn't burst your bubble. Was that a skill that you developed or was that just, did that just come naturally? I think naturally I'm a fairly quiet person. So from that point of view, um, it was quite easy for me to keep quiet. Um, look, make, make no mistake, I heard what they had to say and many a time it was quite funny and sort of inside I had a chuckle or two. But, you know, a word has never got a, a better out. It's always the ball that gets the better out. And, and at the end of the day, when the bowler starts his run-up, they've got to be quiet in any case. So what they're saying between balls really doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah, I used to listen to it, have a giggle, and I knew it would never affect me because... I had a routine that I went through and, and stuck to that, that routine when, um, you know, the bowler got to the back of his mark. So, yeah, that didn't affect me. But there were some funny chips along the way, I must admit, especially from the Aussies. Waiting. And that will do it. Places that beautifully. A lovely way to bring up the highest score against Australia and your 23rd Test Match 100. You had some tumultuous battles in Test cricket against the big three, England, Australia and India, and, and a few others. I remember a couple of hard Test matches against Pakistan, hard series there, particularly in Pakistan, where you scored 100 in both Tests in Karachi. Um, but, but when you think of hard Test cricket, really tough Test cricket, which Test matches or series or opponents come to mind? Australia in Australia, always tough. Um, England in England and India in India. As always, the, the you know the tough battles and ones that you you wanted to play in because you were testing yourself against the best and you know sometimes the toughest conditions. Um, strangely enough, I do I do feel that in South Africa, our wickets are probably the hardest to bat on in the world because they go sideways and up and down. So you know even at home we had some some great battles against some really good bowling attacks and. and um, you know, from the bowling point of view, our, or our batting point of view, our batters knew how to, to cope on those wickets, um, which made it, you know, obviously quite tough for the opposition. But um, especially in South Africa, against some good bowling attacks, there, there were some great contests that we had. Which individuals come to mind? Who did you particularly enjoy playing against or, or respect? I think the best um, seam bowler, just by a little bit, was 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 Imakram. Bowled him out, didn't need to appeal. I think that was just a cry of delight. So Jacques Cullis on his way. And South Africa lose their first wicket. You know, the skill that he had with the, both the new ball and the old ball and the type of bowler that he was didn't give much away from, from that point of view. And, and look, there were plenty others that were, were exceptional and, and had great battles against. Um, from a spinner's point of view, I think Shane Warne stood out, um, you know, both with ability and with his mouth. He was, he was great fun to play against um, and he would probably just stood out a little bit compared to the other spinners. Um, but also, again, there have been plenty that, that we had great battles with. Um, but those two were the, the bowlers in their various categories that I thought just stood out from the rest. At the very beginning of your career, um, in test matches again, you were playing against an Australian team which had a top six who all averaged about 50 or over 50. And at the beginning of your career in the, in the late 90s, the South African top six barely averaged 40. And it was, it was an obsession of the media. People like me used to mention it all the time to people like you. And, and it, was, 
it became a necessary measure of, of success. And, and I mean, there were, you, there were two test matches. You went to Zimbabwe and played two test matches. And there was almost a kind of bloody-minded determination. You said, right, okay, I'm, I'll get that average up. And you scored 400 runs in two test matches without being dismissed. And suddenly your average went from something like 37 to 45. Did you remember that being a sort of national obsession that, 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 that our top six, South Africa's top six, wasn't averaging 50 or 40? I think we're fortunate in our day that we wouldn't have as much social social media and a lot of the guys didn't read the papers or, or any of that, but we knew it was a rub. Um, and I think more importantly, as much as the media was saying we had to get there, I think we wanted to get there as players as well because we knew in order for us to compete against the best teams in the world, we couldn't be 90 for five all the time. We needed you know, our batters to be getting in and, and when you get in, um, don't get 60s and 70s, get big 100s. Um, and then once you get to 100, obviously you try and get 150, 200, et cetera, et cetera. That's how you win games. And so we did sit down as a batting group. It uh, could have been, I think, ahead of the West Indian series where we had a camp in, um, in, in, in Bloemfontein. And I think Hansi sat us all down in front of him and, and said, we need to get this sorted out. We need to get our batters getting big runs. Um, and our averages will then get it where it needs to be to compete against the rest of the world. So... Yes, it, it, it was something that we sat down and said, we need to improve on that. Cruiser on strike. There it is. They go, this will be out, surely. Ah, oh, it's out. It's going to be run out. Oh, that's it. South Africa out. Donald didn't run. I cannot believe it. Australia go into the World Cup final. Ridiculous running with two balls to go. Donald didn't go. Cruiser come. What a disappointing end for South Africa. We haven't even spoken about one-day cricket very much, apart from your debut five World Cups and very nearly a sixth. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But five World Cups, are they in any way a source of small regret that you that you didn't win one? 100%. Most definitely. It's the one thing that I'm, you know, look back and sad of that I wasn't part of a team that, that won a World Cup. Um, I think you'd be a very rich man if you could find out why. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've got my views on it. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the Tokers tag. You know, I don't believe it's that. I actually think it's the opposite. I think we wanted it too much when we got to to those big games in that, you know, players went outside of their roles. Uh, and by that, I mean, if a guy scores 100 in one day period off 120 balls, in those games, he was trying to get it to run a ball. And the bowler that was holding was trying to get wickets. So I think we, we wanted to be that player that made a difference in those big games too much. And didn't trust ourselves as a team. Um, that's what I think uh, were the issues. And in in that in terms of that, put ourselves under a little bit more pressure, which we weren't doing in the other games where we just trusted one another. Um, whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. It's my theory on it. But yeah, I do look back at all those World Cups, and especially the one in England, where you know I felt that that was that was the one for us to win. Um, look back at, and say, if only <laughs> many a times, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people blame Alan Donald at, at the end there. But, you know, at the end of the day, Alan shouldn't have been batting there. One of the batters should have been batting there, um, you know, with Lance. And, and we would have easily have, have chased it down. But, um, yeah, you can't expect tail enders to win your games like that. It's, you know, it's not fair to, have, to blame them. It's the batters, batters um, blame to take for not getting us home. I remember the great Bob Woolmer when he took over um, two years before that 99 World Cup. He said... I want this team, I want them to have a, an average of 50 caps each, which I think he achieved. And he said, 
and I want nine batting options and seven bowling options. I thought that he was, you know, say he sounded like he was coming from a different planet. But in fact, in fact, there were 10 batsmen. Alan was the only kind of non-batsman in the team and at least seven bowling options. That was a hell of a team, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, it had all, all bases covered. It didn't matter what, what wickets that we played on. And it was probably the most balanced side that South Africa's had. Um, and like, like, like I said, I, th- I think that was the World Cup for us to win. And sadly, we couldn't, couldn't get over the line. Um, and look, in World Cups, you do need a little bit of luck to go your way. And we, we probably played, didn't play those big moments as well as we could have if we look back at it. Um, and didn't make the correct choices at, at the right time. And, you know, you always think, OK, well, we've learned from that one. Next World Cup, we we'll, won't make the same mistakes. And we probably didn't make the same mistakes. We made some other mistakes. So, <laughs> unfortunately, we've always just made mistakes in, in big tournaments, which I do believe South Africa is going to win a World Cup sometime. Um, and then we can all celebrate and all the ex-players and that will, will celebrate with the team that wins it because, um, you know, we'll feel that we, we were part of that journey. But um, hopefully it comes soon. Gattel's going to push for two. They've got to go. It's got to throw. It's got to go to the keeper's end. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. By the barest of all margins. Absolute ecstasy for England. Agony. Agony for New Zealand. What have you made of England's transformation from between 2015 and 2019? In the space of four years, they've become an unrecognisably different team. I mean, 2015, they were... They were ordinary. They, you know, they, Owen Morgan and, and the, the Brains Trust there have just done an amazing job, haven't they? They have. Um, you know, we said it that, uh, you know, that 2015, I think they sat down, they came out with, with a different game plan. And, um, you know, when you do that, it, it, you know, it takes a lot of guts because they came out and said they're going to play an aggressive form of cricket. And it didn't matter what the situation was, they were going to carry on playing like that. And, they even got bowled out a couple of times very cheaply and, and the media got stuck into them and they just stuck to their task and knew that in four years' time they would hopefully find the correct balance on, on how to play one day period. And they probably still earned a little bit on the aggressive side, but that's that's the way they chose. And um, for Owen Morgan and, and Trevor Bayless to turn a, a setup like that around is you know magnificent to, to, to see where they are today and the type of cricket that they're playing. They basically decided that the Aussies were in the early 2000s that you know set the trends and um, you know moved the game forward. Um, you know you look back throughout history and, and Sri Lanka kind of changed the way people played with Chaya Surya coming in and smacking it in, in that World Cup. So there's always been sort of trends where teams try and go out of the box and try and play differently to other teams, and that's exactly what England did. I wanted to ask you about two you would think completely contrasting subjects, your time in county cricket and your time with the Kolkata Knight Riders um, before that Royal Challengers Bangalore in the IPL. Um, as I say, you, you, you could hardly think of two more contrasting assignments, you know, playing in front of three men and a dog and 50,000 yeah. people. But, but um, in some ways, they're similar because it's, they're pretty intense, aren't they? I mean, did you find either of them a, a, a bit of a grind? I didn't, know because... Early on in my career, when I did play county cricket, especially when I was at Middlesex, I wasn't established in the in the national side, and kind of used that to hone my skills. And you know, when you go there as an overseas pro, there's pressure on you to perform, um, and that pressure uh, is is not quite as what it's like playing international cricket. But but you know, it's it's good pressure to put yourself under. And sort of came through that experience at Middlesex, becoming a lot better player. 
And then a couple of years later, went to Glamorgan and probably was a little bit more established in the, in the South African setup. So I could sort of sit back and enjoy it a little bit more. Um, but still, you feel the pressure of being an overseas pro. And um, again, you know, you put yourself under pressure. And if you can perform in those um, instances, you know, it gives you a lot of confidence going into when you start playing for your country that you've, you've been able to perform under, under some pressure and uh, playing in different conditions and that and, and some really good opposition that you play against. So that was a massive learning curve for me. Um, and then playing in, in, um, in India, I think, you know, when we started the IPL sort of one and two, um, I remember before the first game, we, we sort of sat down. Uh, I think we were playing against Kolkata, actually, in, in Bangalore. And we sort of worked out, no, we think in 20 overs, maybe 140, 150 were a good score. And Baz McCullum came out and smashed 120 or whatever it was. And we were chasing, I think it was 230. We quickly had to change those ideas and plans. And um, But yeah, even in the first few years, you know, scores weren't anywhere near to where they are now and um, completely changed the way that, that cricket's played in all formats. I think the T20 um, game, especially in, in India. And, it, you know, playing in front of um, 80,000 people in, in Eden Gardens, um, in a provincial game. That's... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Unbelievable. And then to, to have those 80,000 cheer for you and not against you was, was even better. So, um, you know, teachers, I think that's why Indian cricket's been so good because the youngsters are playing in front of those big crowds, playing against some, um, you know, world-class players and sharing a dressing room with, 
with players that have, have um, you know, huge experience. So that whole IPL thing has been incredible for Indian cricket. And I think for international players as well, because international players now are playing a lot better in India as well. So it has worked both ways. That's well played. Very well played indeed. A quick and very thorough, solid century from Jacques Callis. And I think he may well have enjoyed that. I just felt that I'd you know, had 18 wonderful years and... Um, you know, woke up and said, you know, I think it's time. Um, now I think it, it, it is the right time. I think there's always going to be questions whether it right, is right or isn't right. In my mind, I'm uh, 100% convinced that it is. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 and our exclusive interview with the South African great Jack Callis. The all-rounder has been recognised as one of the all-time greats, scoring over 13,000 Test match runs and over 11,000 ODI runs including 62 centuries at the very highest level. Here he talks to Neil Manthorpe about that farewell test match against India in 2013. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Just for those people who can't recall how your retirement came about, it was first of all from, from test cricket. You retired from test cricket, but then in 2013 to concentrate on, on one-day cricket and your intention was to uh, to make it to a sixth World Cup in 2015. But I think the next tour was, if I recall, to Sri Lanka, where it was about 42 degrees and 100% humidity. And I think your body just said, <laughs> you can't do this. So you you retired then a year later for in one-day cricket. But how did that process of, of calling it a day come about? I mean, it, for, for you, it wasn't presumably, you know, people often say you're you'll wake up one morning and just know that, that, that it's time, it's time to go. How, how was it for you? Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, according to that, um, I always said, you know, the day that it becomes a job for me, then, you know, it's, it's time for me to, to call it quits and let someone else take over. And yeah, sadly got to that point. I'd like to have gone to another world cup, but I think to, to play another year feeling like that just to get to a world cup wouldn't have been fair to my teammates and, and to myself. Uh, and decided to to call it quits then. Yeah, to, to, you know, to, to play for 20 years and then just suddenly stop it. It was a big adjustment, but I look back with, with no regret. I know I made the right call because I don't wake up in the morning going, if only. Uh, and that's for me how I know that, you know, I made the right call. Fortunately, in Test cricket that I finished the way that I did, um, it was great to finish like that. would love to have finished at beloved Newlands, but circumstances with that tour and that you know made me finish where I started which is I suppose in another way completing the circle started in Durban ended in Durban um, but you know fond memories of, of playing both former or all three formats um, the people that I've met the places I've been to um, memories that I've got I think was probably the most important you know just thankful that I, I had a career that spanned that amount of time and, and had the experiences that I did and and mostly along the way, it was part of a very successful team. Modesty means that you weren't actually saved. You, you just said it was nice to finish that way. But just just for those who can't remember, you scored 100, Jacques. Of all the things that you did in your career, that that's probably is my favourite, personally. You scored 100 in your last Test match. That is just special. And, it, you know, I guess if people saying, well, he's still got it. Why is he retiring? Then that's... That's probably a very good way to go out. 
Yeah, it is. It probably is. Um, I think the body could still go, but, you know, the mind had sort of done it for so long and wanted to settle down and, and you know, start a family and, and look at the different um, aspects in life and what I was going to do after cricket. So, you know, once you start drifting a little bit from a mind's point of view, from, from that that point of view, then I think it's a dangerous period, especially if, uh, for me, who was totally committed to to cricket throughout my career. Um, but, yeah, to finish with, with 100 like that um, is certainly one of these special memories that'll stick out for me and, and the day is still, still to today. I remember those those feelings and those memories and the people that were there to share it with me. Yeah, and, and even the opposition from, you know, India giving me the the walk um, walk of fame onto the field or whatever it's called. Um, you know, the, those memories sort of stick out and are, are right up there with my favourite favorite memories for sure. I remember at World Cups and, and various other tournaments and, and IPLs in for that matter, you'd focus on the game that you were involved in, but but you, there were plenty of other things you'd rather do than, than watch another game of cricket, weren't there? Yeah, I was a big believer in getting away from the game um, and keeping yourself fresh. So when I wasn't playing, I didn't watch a lot. Um, you know, unless we, unless we were preparing for a, a tour or something, you'd have a quick squeeze at the opposition and, and that. But um, yeah, I try to get away. And I am a big believer in having something away from the game of, of cricket or whatever sport you're doing. Um, mine was perhaps golf or watching movies or spending time with friends and family. Um, so I tended not to to watch a lot of cricket. I think as a coach, it changed a little bit because you're always trying to pick up on little things of players. So you tend to watch a little bit more. And I, I found when I was coaching, I was watching other games, making notes and that. But now that I'm not involved with, with the IPL, I, I find I'm not watching too much cricket again, which <laughs> falling back into that, uh, that mode. But yeah, always keeping an eye, especially on the South African guys with, with regards to the, the guys that I've done some work with, um, with the national side. So I do try and keep an eye out on them and, you know, if there is a thing or two that I do pick up from them, send them a, a message perhaps to um, to help them out if, if they um, if they accept it or not, you know, it's up to them. But, you know, always trying to try and help out our boys still. I don't recall you being spoken about much of uh, as a coach um, before the move from player to, to head coach at, at uh, the Knight Riders in, in the IPL. Did it catch you by, a bit by surprise? In a way, yes, and in a way, no. You know, I think towards the, the latter part of your career as a senior player, you, in a way, become a bit of a coach because you, you're trying to help the young players, um, trying to pass off the knowledge and the culture and, and all that onto the young guys coming in. Um, so, in a way, that sort of opened up the door for me because I enjoyed that part of it. And, um, you know, it's something that I, I perhaps I wish I'd done a little bit more of, um, certainly from the coaching side while I was playing because the amount that I've learned coaching you know, far outweighs what, what I did as a player because you, you end up concentrating on so many more players and not only on, on one person's game. So, um, you know, the amount that I've learned from, from coaching is, is massive. And, you know, I do recommend it to the guys that are playing, even if you go back and, and do once in a while, you know, you help out at a school or a club and that's, you know, just go and pop in and, and help coach the guys. And it's amazing what you pick up that can actually help your game. Um, you know, I wish I knew when I was playing what I, I know now as a, as a coach. It certainly would have helped my games and, um, you know, all formats. Your reputation in in the change room was very similar to to the way you went about preparation, because all your teammates say and said at the time and say now, he doesn't say much, but when he does say something, you listen. Yeah, yeah. very much so, and I think that's that's that is the type of person I am. It's my personality, and um, I suppose it's the way that I coached as well. That's 
unfortunately, if I did speak, you know, they were so surprised that I was speaking, they actually listened. So <laughs> it kind of helps me when that happens. <laughs> you also mentioned golf, Jacques. Um, I won't say that it, it's an obsession because uh, that's that that's just not that's not true. I mean, I, I've seen people who are obsessed with golf, and, and you're not one of them. But you are very very keen keen golfer. What, what do you make of the, 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 and there have been a few, haven't there? There have been, I mean, there's at least 10 professional cricketers who have tried to, to change careers and become professional golfers. Uh, and needless to say, none of them have, have made it um, successfully. But, but is, that, is that something that, that ever crossed your mind? Most definitely not. I've been fortunate to to play in a, a lot of pro-ams and you see how good these pros really are. Um, they really are a different different level and it's an absolute pleasure to play with these guys and, and see how good they are and you realise how average you are. But certainly golf has been something that's kept me competitive. I, I think I've always been a competitive person from the day I was born. Um, I remember playing cricket in the back garden with my sister and try to beat, beat her as badly as I can just because I wanted to win, which um, has always stuck by me that I, you know, I want to win and I'm a bad loser. I hate losing. And <laughs> I've just found, found that, that golf's given me that um, competitiveness that you know that I had with the cricket, where you know if I can get out there and play against mates and um, try and beat them, and I think that's why I'm so attracted to the game of golf is because you know it keeps that competitiveness alive in me, and I don't think that that competitiveness will, will ever leave. <laughs> Alice is on 99. Two, and that's the 100. Fantastic innings. Jack Callis points to that number on his back, number 65. He's changed his number, which was originally three, to 65. And it has to do with his, his father's age. And his father's just been diagnosed with lung cancer. Paying respect to his old man. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 and an exclusive interview with the South African legend Jack Callis. If you've missed any of the show so far, you can download the podcast from the following on feed from all good podcast providers. But in the final part of the program, Callis discusses what it was like growing up and recalls some of the entertaining stories from his childhood. Go back to your childhood and, and tell us about your father, Henry. Um, he was um, he, he had traditional values, I think. I was going to say he was a disciplinarian, but that would be... That would be unkind, but I mean, he made you well. Uh, he encouraged you to to iron your whites and and keep your boots clean. And and uh, I mean, would that would that be fair to say? It'd be a good traditionalist. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, he also that's where basically where I got it from. That if you're going to do something, do it properly. Otherwise, don't do it at all. Um, and I think throughout my whole life, I've always been a, an organised person, like to be neat and and do believe that. Um, you know, if you can keep the stuff off the field neat and tidy, you know, it, it sort of carries on onto the field. So I always try to keep my bats in good order, my whites and shoes clean, all that kind of stuff. Um, because in a way that was preparing me for, for the field. And yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough to grow up in, in a in a family where, um, you know, sport was a massive part of, of our lives. Um, unfortunately, I lost my mom at a young age, but she also you know, played some sports and, and then my dad was mainly a rugby player, didn't, didn't play a lot of cricket, but understood the game of cricket um, and, and never pushed me to, to go to the nets or to go to the rugby field. 
um, you know, it was always me asking that, you know, I wanted to go and then he would take me. So, you know, as long as I was prepared to go, then we, we would go and there was no messing about. If you were going to mess about, then we'd get in the car and come back home because you, you weren't committing to, to doing it properly. And, and that comes back to, again, if you're going to train, train at match intensity. Um, and, and he was a massive supporter of mine and, and my sister's when, um, you know, she played her sport in at school. So, yeah, look, if I can be half as good a dad as, as my dad was to me, that, that I can be to my son, I think he'll turn out okay. Um, just fortunate enough to, to have parents there that, um, you know, support us like, like he did. And, yeah, hopefully we're making him proud. <laughs> there was a story, I don't know how much it's been exaggerated over the years. He was watching you play for your school first 11, Weinberg, Boys High in Cape Town. And uh, the story goes that you, you played a shot that he strongly disapproved of. You gave your wicket away and he drove home. And at the end of the game, you were looking for your dad and the master in charge of cricket said, I'm sorry, Jacques, you're walking today. Is that true? The story actually gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> it was during Cape Schools Week at Weinberg and we were playing, of all schools, we were playing against Selborne. And there was a wicketkeeper by the name of Mark Boucher. He was keeper. <laughs> I forget who the bowler was. It could have been Justin Wiggle or something like that. And um, Yeah, got an outswing and it pitched to the leg stump, nicked one that, you know, virtually was an unplayable ball in my mind. And unfortunately, Bouch caught it. And the game finished and sort of looked around for the old man and um, he'd left. <laughs> you know, if you want to play a bad shot like that, you must find your own way home, which I thought was a bit harsh playing virtually unplayable ball in my mind. Um, I had to find my own way home, yeah. So it taught me, taught me a few lessons along the way, but he was hard, but, but fair. You know, I think it's, you know, now that I'm a parent, you, you see how, um, you know, how tough it is. And sometimes you have to um, discipline your kids in whatever way. That was his way of doing it that day. And, you know, I look back at it as a story now and a, and a laugh now, but I suppose at the time when you get left there, yeah, you get a fright. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure. It, I'm sure it served its purpose. With all with all the experience that you have, uh, and now with coaching experience as well, and and obviously you you were the, the batting coach or the batting consultant for the South African national team. Um, how how would you like? How much would you like to stay involved in the game? And how much would you like to shape the future? And and how would you like to shape the future? Yeah, look, cricket's been in my blood from, from a young age, so um, it would be sad not to be involved and, and give as much knowledge as I can back to the game. So, yes, I would like to be involved um, in whatever way, wherever way possible. Um, you know, I've, I've done it in a way through the foundation that I run for, for underprivileged kids to try and help them and, and give them the opportunity to um, fulfill their dreams like I had mine fulfilled. So um, always trying to give back and, you know, help others fulfill their dreams. Um, I've also sort of got involved in the asset management side in the corporate world now to try and broaden my horizons and um, you know see what I can do there. It's always something that's been that I've been interested in, seeing how money um, you know gets invested and all that kind of stuff. So um, you know working with Dave Randall there to to help me along that path. So you know always trying to to learn new stuff um, and help people along the way in, in cricket. So keeping myself busy and, and out of trouble, which is which is always good. I just wanted to mention the Jacques Callis Scholarship Foundation because whereas many there are there are many cricketers who create opportunities for young boys to play cricket, yours is a, a scholarship foundation. 
and they are founded at traditional cricket playing schools but the emphasis is is on an education isn't it and i think that's 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 a it's a huge difference i mean it's not a cricket scholarship it's a scholarship it's giving opportunities to underprivileged boys to to go to to good educational schools yeah it is and you know education is a massive part of it and and we do emphasize that that um you know, if you look at how many people have played, and my numbers are probably going to be a little bit off now, but it can't be more than 100 people have played test cricket since readmission. Um, and yes, and <clears throat> all parents and kids want their kids to, to play for South Africa and the kids want to play for South Africa, but it's a minor, minor amount that actually gets, <clears throat> sorry, that, that opportunity to, to play. So you've got to get the education side of it along the way. Um, and so if they don't make it in the cricket side, at least we're giving them a chance to have a, a good education and help them along the the path where they want to go. Um, you know, we, we've had a few guys that have come through and made it in cricket, made it in rugby, and then made it in the academic side. So we, we've had success in, in all three of those. And, and all three of them have given me as much pleasure seeing them achieve their goals and their dreams in whatever new they, they've chosen to, to go in. And, you know, that, that's given me as much pleasure as certainly when I was playing cricket. And finally, we've only got a, a couple of minutes left. I asked you about opponents, uh, tough opponents. Who are the cricketers that you played alongside who, um, who who you've really admired, who who have overcome obstacles to get where they are? I mean, there's obviously there have been some great, great cricketers, Sean Pollock, Lance Clusen, Dale Stain, A.B. de Villiers, Makai Arantini, Hashimamla. Flicked away on the leg side, and there it is. The boy from Natal, Hashimamla, has the record. High score by a South African in a test match. Well played. Hashim Amla, gosh, what was it like batting with him? You used to bat for days together. Yeah, we, I mean, I think probably Hashim Amla and myself and Gary Kirsten and myself probably had the, the most time in the middle um, between those two guys. And um, it was fantastic to see where Hashim came from. You know, people said that he'd never make it as a cricketer with that backlift and, and the way he <laughs> batted. Um, he certainly proved a few, few people wrong. And, you know, it was a pleasure spending time with him in the middle um, you know I think we have similar characters in that very calm and, and went around our business in a, in a similar way so it was it was lovely spending time with him in, in, the, in the middle and, and to see what he, he achieved um, Makai and Tini to, to see where he came from um, and what he ended up achieving um, you know great to see stories like that and inspirational stories like that um, but the one for me that I think that I played against that, that for me had the most talent and, and he's still playing today is A.B. de Villiers, you know, I think the talent that he's got is exceptional and, um, you know, just watching him bat, he makes the game look very easy. And that's cleared the big side. He wanted him to hit there. A.B.D. Game set and match to Abraham Benjamin de Villiers. And uh, to, to, I think people, you know, there's a lot of people that say, um, you, you judge a player on how good he is, would you pay money to go and watch him? And certainly A.B. de Villiers is one that I'd pay a lot of money to go and watch. And this is the last question. There's um, a, f a famous photograph, which probably is, I'm not sure if it's famous, because I'm not sure how many people have actually seen it, but you spent about 10 years playing against Australia and being beaten, mostly. Um, you know, you, you lost a lot to Australia. And then in 2008, and it wasn't just your generation, by the way, it was... South Africans had been losing in Australia for 100 years. Yeah. Never won a test series in Australia. And then in 2008, it kind of hit you, didn't it? You, you were, that record run chase in Perth, you made, made 414 to win 
in the fourth inning. That is the sort of test match you dream of as a player. Take on the world champions in their home turf and to not just compete but to win a game like this and to contribute as he has. That's a test match he will remember for the rest of his life. And then when you won that astonishing test match at the MCG, there's a picture of you to, to win the series in the team bus on the way back to the hotel. But it obviously, just it sort of suddenly hit you. And there's tears rolling down your cheeks and you're thinking, we've done it. We've beaten them. Is that one of those memories that brings a skip to your heart? Definitely. Um, the amount of um, hidings that we'd caught from Australia over the years, um, especially travelling there, you got the media on your back, the crowds on your back, and um, to eventually get over that line and, and, and beat them, um, you know, is everything that we worked towards. And, you know, that, and, and in fact, that, that um, England tour beating England there. Um, so those are the two that really stood out. And, um, you know, we'd put so much hard work and effort into that, that to, to eventually achieve it and achieve it, certainly in Australia, the way that we did, chasing down that, that massive score. Um, and it was a collective effort. It wasn't, you know, individuals that, that won us, um, you know, that series. Everybody put their hand up and, and somewhere along the line contributed. So um, it just made it even more special when, when stuff like that happens. So um, certainly one of my fondest memories was um, singing in that bus on the way back to the hotel, knowing that we'd beaten Australia in Australia. Well, Jacques, you had an incredible first half of your life. You've achieved so much on the cricket field. But... Um... In so many other ways, life's just beginning, hey? You're into the second half now. It's family time. Most definitely. I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. Um, we've been blessed with a young boy that's seven months old now and, and hopefully we'll try for, for another and hopefully we'll be blessed with another healthy um, youngster in the not-too-distant future. But, yeah, it's, it's new challenges. Um, like I've said, you know, I look back with fond memories of the first part of my, my life and look forward to the new challenge of the second half. But, yeah, hopefully we can be blessed with good health. Thank you so much indeed for your time, Jacques Callis. Uh, you're looking around for your, for your son, so I think you better go and find him. Thank you. <laughs> once, once again, congratulations on a great career and thanks so much for your time. Thanks for all the support, Neil. Thank you. Cheers. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 and our exclusive interview with the great Jack Callis. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. Thanks for listening. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 